1: In the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So Johns
0: Hopkins University put out this 62-page study, um, a literature review and meta-analysis of the effects of lockdowns on COVID-19 mortality. I read a lot of it, but I'll jump to the summary because I think it's pretty damn good. No, well, let me throw this in, because I want to give myself some cred before I start rambling about this. I read the Wall Street Journal report and uh, uh, about um, excess deaths over the last two years. I don't know if you've heard people talking about this. I buy it. I've listened to enough smart people that I trust talk about this. We've had a million excess deaths. They have a way of calculating that. They know every year roughly how many people are going to die. Because it's relatively consistent. It increases X percent. This happens, everything like that. We had a million excess deaths. So the most likely thing, and I know a lot of you are going to argue with this, but the most likely thing is that we're undercounting the number of people that have died of COVID. It gets complicated, of course, if you have bad health and you get COVID and you die. Was it 51% your blood pressure and 49% COVID, or how do you figure that out? But Right, that's really difficult. There's both undercounting and overcounting, and it's difficult to know what the net is. But it would seem that without COVID, you would have had a million fewer deaths. So I'm just throwing that out there to show I'm not just a uh, just a anti-vaxxer, anti-masker, COVID-isn't-real guy. I believe a million people have died from COVID, even though the official numbers are 800,000. But back to this, the Johns Hopkins studies. Overall, our meta-analysis fails to confirm that lockdowns have had a large significant effect on mortality rates. Studies examining the relationship between lockdown strictness, based on this index that they used, and it's very complicated, find that the average lockdown in Europe and the United States only reduced COVID-19 mortality by 0.2% compared to a COVID-19 policy based solely on recommendations shelter and place orders were also ineffective. They only reduced COVID mortality by 2.9%. The, the, the recommendations means, and this is what Johns Hopkins study is, is recommending uh, that we do next time this happens. God help us if it ever happens in our lifetime. Just put the information out there. Tell people, hey, look, this is the COVID that's around. This is what we think would be a good idea. Let people make their own decisions. Um, You would get a tiny bit a 0.2 percent better outcome and that's probably within the margin of error mm-hmm. of people dying if you just gave recommendations as opposed to the government your county your city your state or the federal government coming in and saying you got to be shut down well and I want to make sure people understand
2: that other statistic too if you engage in the most draconian of shutdowns you won't even get to three percent better you know results so instead of 100 people dying you got a little
0: more than 97 dying in the most draconian lockdowns studies looking at specific um, ways to mitigate deaths lockdown versus no lockdown face masks closing non-essential businesses border closures school closures limiting gatherings also find no broad-based evidence of noticeable effects on COVID 19 mortality all those things i just listed which is incredible how is this not the number one news story in america today I know. I know. And there's there's more, but go on. However, back to Johns Hopkins. However, closing non-essential businesses seems to have had some effect, it says here, uh, by a certain percentage, which is likely related to the closure of bars. They do think closing bars had some effect because of the way bars are. You're standing close together. You're talking really loud. Yeah, yeah, my brother's coming this weekend. Spit flying everywhere. <laughs> um Also, masks may reduce COVID-19 mortality, but there is only one study that examines universal mask mandates. The effect of border closures, school closures, and limiting gatherings on COVID-19 mortality yields precision-weighted estimates of between 0.1% and 1.6%. Those are awful low percentages. Given the incredible damage we've done to the children, I would say... Lockdowns compared to no lockdowns also do not reduce COVID-19 mortality. Discussion portion portion of the 62-page paper. Overall, we conclude at Johns Hopkins that lockdowns are not an effective way of reducing mortality rates during a pandemic. At least not during the first wave of the COVID-19 pandemic. Our results are in line with the World Health Organization writing from 2006, because they studied this with other shutdowns and other pandemics around the world. Reports from the 1918 influenza pandemic indicate that social distancing measures did not stop or appear to dramatically reduce transmission. In Edmonton, Canada, isolation and quarantine were instituted. Public meetings were banned. Schools, churches, colleges, theaters, and other public gatherings were closed. And business hours were restricted without obvious impact on the epidemic. Our findings are also in line with the uh, with another study, Allen, twenty twenty one. The most recent research has shown that lockdowns have had at best a marginal effect on the number of COVID nineteen deaths.
2: What's especially frustrating about this, and the invaluable uh, COVID correspondent Kevin uh, sent this to us weeks and weeks ago, and actually I talked about it once or twice on the air, that both in twenty seventeen and twenty nineteen. The WHO and the CDC put out reports on pandemic planning, big, authoritative, scientifically solid reports on pandemic preparedness. And they wrote in both of those reports that mass quarantines don't work. There's no scientific basis for it, but, quote, might be pursued for social or political purposes by political leaders rather than pursued because of public health evidence. They knew in advance it wouldn't work. But after watching the news out of China, they panicked. And and the politicians who didn't know what the frig they're talking about won the day. And then, you know, what happened next as Kevin points out is like the scientists behind the Great Barrington Declaration. Do you remember when we were talking about that? That was a large group of respected scientists who said the lockdowns are a bad idea. There's no reason to do it. We need to stop. They were vilified and censored. Their funding was cut. Their positions were were severed. For daring to say what all the major health authorities had said in advance, and then as we're getting toward the tail end of it, precisely what Johns Hopkins is saying again. For that, they were vilified and canceled. Good Lord, people. Keep just trusting your beloved authorities.
0: So uh, now this is from the end of the report, and this is gets into the damage that it did. What does the evidence tell us about the effects of lockdowns on mortality? We provide a firm answer to this question. The evidence fails to confirm that lockdowns have had a significant effect on reducing COVID-19 mortality. The effect is little to none. The use of lockdowns is a unique feature of COVID of the COVID-19 pandemic. Lockdowns have not been used to such a large extent during any of the pandemics of the past century. However, lockdowns during the initial phase of the COVID-19 pandemic have had devastating effects. They have contributed to reducing economic activity, raising unemployment, reducing schooling, causing political unrest, contributing to domestic violence, and undermining liberal democracy. Other than that, it's been fine. Well, and they didn't even get more heavily into the mental health aspects, especially for the young. These costs to society must be compared to the benefits of lockdowns, which our meta-analysis has shown are marginal at best. Such a standard benefit cost calculation leads to a strong conclusion lockdowns should be rejected out of hand as a pandemic policy instrument. How do you like that? And again, if you're just tuning in,
2: that is Johns Hopkins major study, which echoes the findings of multiple previous major studies pre-pandemic that all said the same thing. And yet, we did it. We did it to the children, and and the teachers' unions never forget did it beyond all reason, far beyond the point that people were back in bars and ball games and the rest of it abusing the little children. I, I you know, I don't, I don't know, I don't know
0: what to say. I guess that's enough.
2: Oh, it's frustrating.
0: So, but it wasn't just the U.S. that did it. Although the U.S. has done it more than most. Do I have time for this? Yeah, um... sure. Uh, because I came across this yesterday. Mm. Stand by, everybody. Stall. Okay, this is a journalist. Um, This is my first day back in New York since returning to the United States last month after four and a half months in Germany, says this journalist. When I was in New York over the summer, you could sense things were opening up. But now the contrast with Germany seems so stark, especially as regards to the basic fact of people going to work. In Germany, even during the rough Delta surge of November and December, many people were still going to work going downtown. The regional trains from the suburbs were still heavily used. You had to search for a seat. The train stations were bustling in Berlin, and she mentioned some other German towns. In New York, my goodness, Penn Station and shiny new Moynihan Hall are ghostly. There are no commuter crowds. Newsstands are closed. The bar at Moynihan closes at 8 in New York City. Wow.
2: So who was more willing to goose step to the arbitrary Ooh. dictates of the authorities? Ooh. The, the U.S. was. Our people were. You know why? Do you know why? Because Trump said
0: open the schools. Ah, that's a lot of it. You're, you're absolutely right. Trump Trump downplayed it. So you had to go. You know, that is a lot of it. To prove
2: you hated Trump, you had to act as though the COVID justified anything and everything because Trump was the other way. That is what it's I will. I may never see anything so astounding for the rest of my life. Probably not.
1: Armstrong and Getty. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. Two hundred and ninety-seven depression. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I don't understand yeah,
3: really I'm, what this is about. Sure. Except it sounds like maybe people are just being lazy. Are you encouraging people well, sure, to be so, lazy? Um, so I think laziness is um, a virtue in a society where people constantly want you to be productive twenty-four-seven, and it's good to have rest um that doesn't mean you should be resting all the time or not putting effort into things that you care about
0: what do, what do you call that when uh, you 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 posit somebody else's position as uh, as something that's way further than what you're saying i think there's a
2: latin phrase but it's a straw man you're creating a straw man then bravely beating it up it's it's a position nobody holds
0: anyway we were talking about this the anti work reddit thread that i had come across just kind of accidentally um, and then it grabbed several posts from that were just amazing. There are 1.7 million people on the anti-work Reddit thread, and it fits in with other stuff we've been talking about over the last several weeks, both from 60 Minutes and Wall Street Journal and other places about this move toward um, either just deciding, you know, work is, I don't think the whole work thing is for me. <laughs> <laughs> which is hilarious really when it you think is. about when Charming. I say it, when I say it out loud or uh, only if I can find a job that makes my heart sing or you shouldn't have to do demeaning labor better to not work at all and the fact that we no longer um stigmatize idleness well you just that, that person just you know they haven't found the job that they enjoy yet so that's why they continue to take money from the government or live with their parents or whatever but anyway so uh Jesse Waters on Fox got on this person from the anti-work subreddit to speak about it. Here's a little explanation of maybe some of the misconceptions around the thread.
3: So this is a misconceptions about the movement. Um, so we're a movement where we want to reduce the amount of work that people feel like they f- they're forced to, to do. Um, and so we want to still put in effort. We want to put in labor, um, but we don't want to necessarily uh be in a position where we feel trapped you know um you just quoted from office space where that person feels very trapped in their job i think we're calling for a society where there's less of that um but yeah absolutely people still want to do things they just want to do things where they feel rewarded and they feel like they're in a good spot in their life uh and that their job respects them and stuff like that hmm
0: so uh How many of you listen right now got a job that uh, you feel like you're respected and rewarded and it it just makes your heart sing? Or, even if you got one of those jobs now, how about other jobs when you were younger? How many of those were you really rewarded for your efforts and felt respected? I got several jobs where I was treated like the Uyghurs in China. Oof. Uh, Um, Yeah, so uh,
2: here's a different way to put it. Um, and and I, I address this even to folks working fabulous jobs, their dream jobs, making a lot of money, whatever. I happen to have something close to my dream job, and I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for it. Will they hang on to you a second after you're not worth the trouble anymore? The second after you're not paying for yourself? You know? That's, that's the bargain you strike with the world. At, at the moment you're not bringing the value that
0: you're demanding – you're gone. Can you play that again? And just the like the first sentence I found uh, odd.
3: So there's some misconceptions about the movement. Um, so we're a movement where we want to reduce the amount of work that people feel like they f- they're forced to to do. Okay, um, we
0: want to reduce the, the amount of work that people feel like they're forced to do. That's
2: all work practically. That's that's an idiot child spouting nonsense. Right. That's what that is.
0: Pretty much everybody is getting up and going to work today because they have to. Or certainly a lot of days, there are days, even if you like your job, there's lots of days you'd rather, if you had your choice, you'd skip today. But you go because you're forced to. That's just reality. Like I said yesterday, it's like being angry at baldness or gravity or <laughs> Or death and taxes. I mean, just things that are part of the
2: human condition. It, it seems as crazy as objecting to the fact that you have to pause once in a while to relieve yourself. This is such a waste of time. It's so stupid. I hate it. What are you talking about? It's a condition of being an animal, of being human. Feeding yourself is a different one. Bye. Bye. Got this email.
0: Chock full of great. Uh, did, do we want to run any more of those? Uh, clubs? Oh, I'm, I'm kind of digging what the guy has to say. <laughs> sure. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm I think, fine with it. I think, we got a great email about think, it, but go ahead. I think Jesse gets into him a little bit
3: here. The, what do you think is like a work. good work day? How many hours is, is you know, a solid work day in, in your ideal right. society? Uh, sure. I mean, I think as much as people want. I mean, I personally uh, work. I have, I have like a 20, 25-hour work weeks, which I think is fairly good um so i would like less work hours um and what I do you do doreen oh uh, i'm a dog walker a dog walker okay yes
0: <laughs> okay i want to hear a little more from this guy and then comment go ahead
3: and how uh, yeah so how I old are, are you me- if you don't mind me asking sure i'm 30 you're 30 okay and is there something you want to do besides being a dog walker do you aspire to do anything more than dog walking or is that kind of your your pinnacle uh i I love working with dogs if I had to do this for the rest of my life you know i wouldn't be super complaining you know dogs are wonderful animals uh but I'm i would love to teach uh I would love to um teach. you know uh work with work with people and what, stuff like that what would that. you yeah. teach dorian uh a philosophy mostly philosophy. just introduction to philosophy <laughs> critical thinking reason stuff like that
0: oh boy critical Ding. thinking and reasoning uh uh so my question would have been to the guy and maybe Jesse waters got into this later is. How much are you making? I mean, because it's almost impossible that he's a 30-year-old dog walker who works 20 hours a week, and he isn't either getting supported by a government check, he's either being supported by a taxpayer or mommy and daddy, guaranteed. There's no way he's supporting himself as a dog walker on 20 hours a week. Or he has lots of
2: roommates and lives an incredibly austere lifestyle, but he didn't mention that.
0: But the first part of uh, how many hours a day should people work? Well, as many as they want to. Okay, all right. I'm, I'm talking with a child. Why am I continuing? Why right. am I continuing to have this conversation?
1: Armstrong and Getty, Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. I got my sexy pants on. The Armstrong and Getty Show.
2: So this is this is notable for a couple of different reasons. Uh, number one, uh, this article, shocking me, uh, appeared in NPR on NPR's website, talking about. The Giant Study of Low-Income Children in Tennessee in Pre-K. And, and they center this article around this, uh, this woman, Dale Farron, who's studied early childhood education for half a century, yet her most recent scientific publication has made her question everything she thought she knew. And that is the, the Tennessee study which was as close to a real-world randomized controlled trial for pre-K as you could have. It was almost 3,000 low-income children in Tennessee who
0: applied.
2: Uh, They were admitted by lottery, et cetera. Um, we will offer
3: pre-k
0: to every child in california everybody cheers and joe biden and kamala harris whoever and pre-k will finally come to the united states and everybody cheers this has been going on for years people cheering pre-k without anybody having any idea what it is or what it does and there is no information out there to lead you to believe it's a good thing Nope, not really. You know, the theme we could
2: get to the punchline before the rest of the joke is that it's long been part of progressivism, Marxism, too, um, but just just general progressivism, that the government ought to be more involved in raising your children. Uh, Taxpayers ought to be taxed higher, and those tax dollars should be spent raising your children for you, which is not a concept I'm a big fan of, um, especially because the government does a crappy, crappy job of it. See most people's local uh, public schools. Anyway, uh, this uh, Farron woman and her co-authors at Vanderbilt University followed both groups of children all the way through 6th grade. At the end of the first year, the kids who went to pre-K scored higher on school readiness, as expected. But after 3rd grade, they were doing worse than the the control group, and at the end of 6th grade, they were doing even worse than that. Lower test scores, more likely to be in special ed, more likely to get into disciplinary trouble in school, including serious trouble like suspensions. Um, We've come within a
0: couple of votes here and there of having pre-K all across this country without the American people understanding, not only does it not do any good and cost gazillions of dollars, it actually does harm.
2: That's right. Now, I know what you're thinking, some of you, because I was thinking it, too. My kids went to preschool and they loved it. It was a great experience for them. I'll get to that difference in a minute, and it's significant. But so, uh, after third grade, well, uh, negative effects in one of the three state achievement tests, but in sixth grade, they saw it in all three, math, science, and reading. Worse results. Clearly worse results. So that's right. A statewide public pre-K program taught by licensed teachers housed in public schools had a measurably statistically significant negative effect on children in the study. She was shocked by this, but is being honest about it. So, And obviously, for progressives, this is a terrible time for this news to come out, which is one of the reasons you haven't heard it much, because we're so close to, like, instituting this all around the country. They mention a similar thing in Boston that went differently. I'm looking at the clock, figuring out how much time we have for this, Um, uh, that had different results. Um, but I'll go ahead and bottom line it for you. One of the biases that I hadn't examined in myself, says this doctor, is the idea that poor children need a different sort of preparation from children of higher income families. She's talking about drilling kids on basic skil- skills, worksheets for tracing letters and numbers. A teacher giving 10 minute lectures to a whole class of 25 kids who are expected to sit on their hands and listen. Only five of whom may be paying any attention whatsoever. And she explains higher income families are not choosing this kind of preparation. Why would we assume that we need to train children of lower income families earlier in this
0: stuff? That's a pretty decent point right there. She points out that families of
2: means tend to choose play-based preschool programs with art, movement, music, and nature. It's exactly what we did. Yeah, it was church-based, and it was wonderful. Children are asked open-ended questions, and they are listened to. Here's your government pre-K, which is perhaps soon to be the law of the land. Uh, In classrooms full of kids in poverty or kids who just go to the government preschools, teachers talk a lot, but they seldom listen to the children. And she thinks part of the problem is that many teachers in many states are certified for teaching all sorts of kids. Very little time spent on on the youngest kids. And another bias she's challenging is the idea that teacher certification equals quality. There have been three very large studies, the latest one in 2018, which are not showing any relationship between quality and licensure. How do you like
0: that? We came within a Joe Manchin vote, and maybe one or two others, of this being the law of the land, and us paying for it, and damaging our children. came really close to this. Do you remember the big giant $3 trillion Build Back Better thing? But wait, there's more. In 2016, Farron published
2: a study based on her observations of publicly funded Tennessee pre-K classrooms, similar to the ones we were talking about before. She spent this, found the largest chunk of the day was spent in transition time. That means simply moving the kids around the building. Wow. Partly, it's an architectural problem. Uh, uh, Private preschools, home-based daycare, they tend to be laid out with little kids in mind. Their bathroom's right off the classrooms. Kids eat in or near the classroom. There's outdoor play space right there with equipment for short people. And then you put them in government schools, and you have to line them up. And make them be silent. And they walk down the hall and they use the bathroom. Then they walk down to the cafeteria and then they walk and don't touch your neighbor. Don't touch the wall. Put a bubble in your mouth because you have to be quiet. I've never heard that expression. Hmm. but I guess that's a little kid thing. Um, And so one of Farron's most intriguing conjectures, this said, is that the need for control could explain the extra discipline problems seen later on in the kids school careers. "Quote: I think children are not learning internal control, and if anything, they're learning sort of an almost allergic reaction to the amount of external control that they're having, that they're having to experience in school. In other words, regularly reprimanding kids for doing normal kid stuff at four years old, even suspending them, backfire down the road as children experience school as a place of unreasonable expectations. I would add in as an
0: activist that makes my heart hurt." And
2: I would add in also, and this is right up through high school, boys pathologized for acting like little boys.
0: God, told that there's something
2: it. wrong if you can't sit still like the little girls are sitting still.
0: Taking a four year old and teaching them to hate school oh, and taxpayers funding it at a cost of billions and billions of dollars. Thank God it didn't happen. It's still talked about. There's still talking. Gavin Newsom's been promising it for California forever. Pre K. Getting a head start, a head start on being miserable. How, what? What? Well, it's what you said about it. It's it's the weird left's view. At the 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 more time the government has your kids, and the less time the parents have the kids, the better for society. Well, and a lot of this is focused on uh, people of color, young kids of color,
2: having worse educational outcomes, not going to college as much, et cetera. And so this is designed as a magic bullet to cure that, the the government pre-K thing. um, And and they point out, and I'll summarize now, uh, what the biggest lesson Farron has drawn from research is that we've simply asked too much of pre-K. Whoever thought we could provide a four-year-old from an impoverished family with five and a half hours a day, nine months a year of preschool, and close the achievement gap? And send them to college at a higher rate. I mean, why? Why do we put so much pressure on our pre-K programs? We
0: might actually get better results, she says, from simply letting little children play. Oh my God! I was trying to. I got a new Nintendo Switch that I bought for myself. That's what my son wanted for his spring break. Talked about all these different things we could do. He said, "I would. I want you to get a Nintendo Switch so you can play video games with me." Mm. So I bought one, and I'm trying to figure out how to play the game. But anyway, just setting it up with you know passwords and this and that and won't link and that email address is already being used. How is that even possible? You know that 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 sort of crap just makes me insane. I'm so, I just oh nothing makes my brain hurt like that. Nothing makes my brain hurt like that. But anyway, finally got everything done, and then the Nintendo people on the helpline were really, really pleasant. You know, they've got a financial interest in making sure we get signed up, but um, uh, they were really, really good. All customer service should be that good. But anyway, so I finally get on the game. We're playing, trying to play Fortnite. (laughs) Henry kept saying, Dad, you are terrible at this. You are really, really terrible at this. All you did there was stand there and just swing your axe over and over and over. You need to practice with the buttons. So he wants me to practice with the buttons before we reconvene. My experience, exactly. I tried to play. I think it was like Grand Theft Auto or something with Declan
2: when he was a teenager. And uh, I just kept jumping up and down. He's like, no, Dad, not the X, the Y. You got to use the Y. Control Y to go forward. I'm like, what? There are two buttons at once? And so I would just jump up and down. (laughs) Like I'm some idiot at a Devo concert in 1988.
0: I just stood there swinging this axe, and Henry said, that guy's shooting at you. That guy's going to kill you. You can't just stand there and swing an axe. The guy's going to kill you. Okay, you're dead. You are terrible at this, Dad. But he really enjoyed me playing with him. I hope I can get, like, competent enough, because it's like their favorite thing in the world. I have zero interest in it but they like it so you know that gives me interest in it but i just i don't also don't have any skills for those sorts of things <laughs> you oh know it God. pains me
2: mightily to say this but in many ways it's the modern baseball club. i
0: know i know i know and i just got to accept it i would i would go outside and play catch with you till my arm fell off right. but they don't want to do that they want to do this
1: armstrong and getty Jack Armstrong and Joe
2: Getty. But resist, we must.
1: The Armstrong and Getty Show.
2: I like the way this article uh, it begins. Think stress is causing your heart to race? There may be another culprit: your nightlight. Even a small amount of ambient light from, like, a TV or bright exterior lights that filter in your windows when you're sleeping at night can negatively impact your health, according to a new study published in the Journal of the Proceedings of the National Acad- Academy of the Sciences. I like it to night be. Night after night? I like Sorry. it to be dark when I sleep. You know, I'm going to have to uh, have a little apology, little me Culpa to my wife. Uh, she is a fanatic about it being dark to the point that we have one of those, uh, like, uh, modern thermostats in our room mm-hmm. that's digital and all, and it glows.
0: Interesting. And, and she that's was, too much.
2: Well, yeah, and she was, uh, you know, hammering me to figure out how to turn down the the lighting on it, and I finally did. But she says it's still too light, so maybe I'll hang a handkerchief or
0: something over it. But yeah, I'd rather it was dark. But if there is some light, uh, what am I going to do? Get up and deal with it? I'll just turn my head. Certainly, put the pillow over your head. Anyway, uh, uh, this is a
2: quote from Phyllis Z, chief of sleep medicine at Northwest University, Feinberg School of Medicine, co-authored the study. Quote, the results from this study demonstrate that just a single night of exposure to moderate room lighting during sleep can impair glucose and cardiovascular regulation, which are risk factors for heart disease, diabetes, and metabolic syndrome. That means being a fat boy. The researchers monitored patients who slept in moderately lit rooms and dimly lit rooms over the course of one night and assessed how their bodies adjusted throughout the night and into the next day. The study participants who slept in rooms with a moderate amount of light went into a heightened state called sympathetic activation.
0: They weren't truly deeply asleep. So how does that happen? It's the light that's the the, the the tiny bit of light that gets through your eyelids? Because unless a light's pretty bright and you're facing it I, don't even, I wouldn't even know if there was a night light in my room when my eyes are closed. Yeah, I think night light might overstate
2: the uh, the premise here. I, it would have to be a fairly bright night light, and you'd have to be looking at it with your eyes closed, mm-hmm. obviously. But um, they're just talking about a significant amount of light. Okay. But this is, this is interesting. The autonomic nervous system, which regulates things like heart rate, pupil dilation, body temperature, digestion, can be split into two categories. The sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system system during the day the sympathetic nervous system regulates different functions that help the body prepare for activity governs our body's response to stress at night the parasympathetic nervous system helps the body rest digest and recuperate the added light triggered participants sympathetic nervous system which should have been inactive and kicked it into overdrive over the course of the night the participants experienced elevated heart rates and a spike in how forcefully the heart contracts what's more Or, as you might say in your high school report, moreover, the next morning, the participants showed signs of insulin resistance, meaning the cells in their muscles and fat began to reject insulin and weren't able to properly process glucose to make energy. Over time, the spike in insulin resistance could lead the pancreas to produce more insulin, not (laughs) insulin, eventually leading to higher blood sugar levels and even type 2 diabetes, they say. Preliminary studies don't leap to any conclusions, but they definitely say. They're <laughs> and, if certain. I,
0: and if I leapt to conclusions and turned off the light when I slept, what sort of damage would be done?
2: Please well, don't leap to any
0: conclusions.
2: Well, no, I, I would go ahead and leap to that conclusion. I mean, I, I just was going to say if, if, like, there's a street light outside your home, you're not definitely screaming at 100 miles per hour toward.
0: Type 2 diabetes. Oh, I think this is the root of all my problems. All the problems I've ever had is too much light in my room at night. Well, it it could be the root of some of them. If this is true, um, what's the deal with hospitals? Having just spent a week in the hospital not that long ago, it's definitely not dark in your room at the hospital.
2: No, no. I think uh, the deal with hospitals is that they have a terrible uh, way of, of helping you rest. Now get some
0: rest, they say, and then make it impossible. And having had some experience with psych hospitals in the last couple of years, definitely not dark in those rooms. So, way to make crazy people crazier. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, a couple of
2: tips. Blackout curtains or cheaper. Eye mask. Uh, rearrange your furniture so your bed doesn't face a light source. Turn I, off the TV. I don't know why I've never gotten into the eye mask. The couple of times I've tried it, it's been awesome. I used to use that for naps a lot. Now, I just throw the pillow over my head. Hmm. Uh, Let's see, Uh, opt for motion-activated nightlights if you have them at all. Select red and orange-hued lighting over white and
0: blue-hued lighting. It's not hard to imagine that hundreds of thousands of years of evolution in which we slept when it was just completely black as the inside of a dog, as Hemingway would say, in terms of (laughs) dark outside, Um, uh, that uh, yeah, having some light in the room is a completely modern thing. Yeah, and, and
2: the third thing they say is if there is a nightlight, just make sure it's not directly visible from the bed. Hmm, there you go. So there you go. How about that? This this could be huge. One, one change in the last, what, 250 years, maybe 300 years?
0: It used to be dark at night. Dark, dark, dark. Yeah. And now we live in cities and towns and streetlights and the rest. Of mm, I might I might have to convince one of my sons who has a light on in the night. Uh, to the, Let's try it with the light off. See if that does anything for us. Sleep better. Give him a flashlight. Maybe that would help. So I was interested in a, I came across some Orwell. And I popped in my head, you know, I've never read a biography of George Orwell. I wonder what's the best biography of George Orwell. And I just started down that rabbit hole. And I know this guy, George Packer, who's a famous writer. He had written some stuff about Orwell. And so I searched on Orwell Packer. For whatever reason, the way Amazon works, I got some Orwell stuff, I got some other stuff, and then I got a three-piece, three in case I wear two of them out, I guess, a three-piece enlarged penis pouch sponge removable bulge enhancing packer. It's these foam things that, because I searched Orwell Packer, the name Packer, but These foam things that you pack into your swim trunks or your pants or whatever you're wearing (laughs) that make you look like you have bigger junk. No, I don't. (laughs) No, I don't do that. Did you know this was a product? Uh, I did not. I mean, like, uh, I'm not surprised that it exists. I saw Spinal Tap. But um, the fact that it's like something that would show up at the top of your search on Amazon. (laughs) They must sell a fair number of them. It's only ten dollars and eighty cents, so roughly three dollars a piece.
2: Wow, three piece men's and large, very reasonable.
0: (laughs) Three piece and men's and large penis pouch sponge, and then this pouch sponge. Yeah, it's just a soft. It it actually looks like the foam cup that women put in their bras to make it look like they got more upstairs. It's the same thing, only you're putting it downstairs. Although there is. The you know, padded brief, if you will. Although it has been around for a long time of women wanting to accentuate the size of their, their 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 breasts. That's not new. The whole wanting to have a bigger package, that seems like... I've not known many people that do that. I know <sighs> lots of women who've done the other. Lots. Most. But I've never known any guy. Of course, how would I know? But I've never what? even heard of it before. Well, it's a niche product, no doubt. But the, the punchline is now...
2: Amazon's going to start sending you nothing but, you know, penis enhancement projects. Facebook's gotten the word, and they told Google. So, man, every time you open up a screen, it's going to be some sort
0: of pump or or padding or whatever. Oh, yeah, or the spam calls. Today, I'll pick up the phone. I don't know this number. I'll answer it. Sorry about your small penis, they'll say. What? 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 I was Googling Orwell. It had nothing to do with this. Has anybody used this or know anybody that does? Oh yeah, I
2: did, and I tell you what, the gals are lined up outside my door.
0: Well, that's just well, that's the the, that's what makes it most ridiculous. Would that make any difference in your life if you had more bigger, visibly genitalia? Would that have any impact on your life whatsoever, negative or or, uh, positive? I just can't imagine that it would. Who's staring at your crotch? (laughs) I'm. I'm, I've gone as far as I'm going to go. You have fun. The Price is Right, though. Yeah. I'm glad it's inexpensive. That well, it's a set of
2: three, too, because you don't want to have, like, a big Friday night plan, then you realize you're out. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com.
3: No purchase necessary. VTW. Void are prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
0: Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end.